Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to DEI After Five. This is an episode I've really been looking forward to. There are so many people that are in this diversity, equity, and inclusion space, um, and there's so many voices to hear and to follow. Um, but this one in particular has been one that I have just really admired and um, just appreciate how she shows up in this space. And so I want to just have this conversation with her and, and her experience in this industry. And so today my guest is Dr. Nika White. So welcome. Thank you so much, Sasha. It is such a joy. I'm really honored to be here. So thank you for thinking of me. And I look forward to being in conversation with you. Thank you. So first of all, I want to just ask, how did you even get into this space? Like no one usually wakes up and says, oh, I want to do diversity and inclusion. Right? So Absolutely. how did you get into this? Yeah, that, that is that is very true. I, I would say that probably the space found me, not necessarily I found it, but my background is marketing communications. And so I remember at the time where I first started following my curiosities around this, this space of diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging was when I was working for a large full service um, advertising agency, marketing communications firm. And it happened to have been based in Greenville, South Carolina, which is where I'm from. Um, but they also had a presence in New York. And so I was in between both the New York and the Greenville office. And I was keenly aware of how the industry of advertising and marketing communications was challenged, challenged in the sense that it was not very diverse from a workforce perspective. And so when you think about the advertising capitals of the world, like New York and Chicago, you know, you have the attorney general knocking on the offices of those agencies saying, you have to diversify. This is not a suggestion. It is a mandate. We'll be back in six months to see how you're doing. Mm -hmm. Well, because I was in Greenville, South Carolina, certainly not known to be like this mega, you know, area for all of this deep industry experience and opportunity relevant to advertising and marketing communications. No one was paying attention to Greenville, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. But I knew that at the time, the goal was to become the most admired agency in the Southeast. And so, you know, having the wherewithal to understand that it certainly required the agency that I was working for in Greenville to be much more intentional about how do we leverage the opportunity of diversity, equity and inclusion, um, rather than waiting for someone to come and place a mandate. And so I literally had just an honest conversation with the president CEO at the time, who was very hands on. He listened intently, um, asked some thoughts questions. And at the end of that conversation, he said, I agree, Nika, we need to do this and you're going to lead it. Now tell us how. And so I had to become really smart, you know, really quickly to um, help the agency navigate this body of work. And, and I, I did just that. And what I came to realize is that it was a little buried, but it was definitely something that I had a connection to. Um, mm -hmm. Once I took inventory of a lot of the things that I had associated my, my my time and my talents to, it had something to do with representing for those who are often left behind. And so it was it was inevitable that a full circle moment was was to come in the future. I love that story um, because I actually was in marketing as well, too. Right. For, right. for part of my career. And 
I, you know, I always say, any, anyone that's in marketing and communications, right? It's all about who's your audience. Oh, yes. And, and once you understand who your audience is and it's underrepresented, right? Yeah. You, you start to look for those voices. You start to tell those stories. Right. And that is just, it's just a natural fit for DEI work. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, what's so interesting about coming at it from this marketing communications angle has been, it's not new. Like when you look at companies like McDonald's, who's been doing this for decades, right? They've understood what they call, you know, multicultural marketing for so long. Um, And it's just now everyone's kind of catching up. So anytime I come across someone that's in like the marketing communication space, and that's, that was their caveat into this work. I'm like, thank you. Because that that was mine, right? And Sasha, it's actually quite common. I have met a number of DEI practitioners whose journey started like kind of in the communications marketing space. But I tell people Mm. every single day that the work of, you know, DEIB is not just about helping people to understand the constructs of diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging and theory and in practice, but equally important, it's about how are we controlling the narrative? How are Mm -hmm. we telling the story? How are we positioning the business case and the moral imperative for this work? So I think that bringing the skill sets of marketing communications to this work of diversity, equity, and inclusion is imperative. And it definitely has served me well. I mean, as you know, it's always about on time, on budget, on strategy. But at the end of the day, those individuals who are marketing professionals, they exist to help reach the diverse constituencies that their clients represent. And that's diverse America, right? So it's all about knowing your target and really building up that um, cultural intelligence to be able to draft messaging strategies that really can resonate with a, a broad spectrum of people. I love it. I love it. Love it. And this is everything you're saying too. I, um, we had, uh, Janet Stovall on the show. And so her background's in communications. And so she's echoed the very same thing, you know? So I I think that it's just critical and again, internal and external communication and who your audience is and understanding Mm -hmm. how you can, um, I don't want to say convince, but how you get people to see the importance of this work it's all about communications. It's all branding about. Is, yes. Branding is all about engagement. Yes. How do we engage people if we aren't communicating with them in a way that allows them to feel seen and heard, um, to feel like, you know, your message really is for them. I mean, right. so it's it's critical. And and I think that some of the, the brands that do this work well, they have gravitated to the need to have a diverse workforce to help create all of these great marketing strategies and campaigns for that very reason. So I'm, I'm a big fan of blending the two. Yes. Love it. Love it. So let me ask you this, because one of the things that I know you are known for right now is being an intentional inclusionist, <laughs> right? So talk to us a little bit about what does that mean? Because yeah. I think I know my, I have my interpretation <laughs> of that, but I want to hear from you. What does that mean? Yeah, Sasha, I'm sure probably you could, um, you know, answer this question directly and be spot on. But yes, you know, intentional, intentionality, intent, you know, some variation thereof is my favorite word. It really is. I think there's so much power behind it. It is calculated and it has a certain look about it. It requires foresight and being strategic. It requires um, really being committed, committed to knowing that there is a goal and a reward on the other end of it. We cannot be passive about this work of inclusion. And so I always say that intentionality is really that main separator of individual leaders and organizations that do this work 
uh, mediocre versus those who do this work at an exemplary level. And it's, so it's been part of my messaging platform. Um, so, you know, many people do know me as part of my brand as the intentional inclusionist. Um, that is actually a, a phrase that I coined many years ago, actually, when I wrote my first book entitled The Intentional Inclusionist. And it's all about helping individuals to grow as inclusion-minded leaders. And mm. in this book, when I talk about leaders, it's not necessarily by positionality or title, but rather it is about influence. Yeah. And the reason that is so critical is because if we think about influence, we can lead from any place within the organization. And I find that there are a number of people that at their core, if you were to engage them, they, they can understand and they can even articulate the value of diversity, equity, and inclusion, but they're passive about it and that they see it as the responsibility of someone else, yeah. maybe a leader or the chief diversity officer, manager, director, or even the HR professionals. And part of my messaging platform is to get people to realize that we this belongs to all of us. We have to own this, and that requires intentionality. And if we can self-manage, then we can influence and lead and help bring others along without feeling like we have to have a title attached to it in order to do this work. It's for all of us. I love that, you know, as I'm always talking about, I call everyone a leader, right? Like if you are in a position, you are a leader. Right. Absolutely. And so I, I, you know, when you saying that it's all about influence, yes. people don't even realize, like you might be the quote unquote low man on the totem pole, right? Yeah. For lack of a better term, um, and have influence within your organization. Right, and, absolutely. You know, the power of the voice and the power of persuasion, and it goes back to communication, right? If you're a great communicator, you have power. And so how do you do that? Um, I was in a on a panel not too long ago where someone was asking like, who should be, you know, who should leave their job and become a diversity and inclusion professional? And I was just like, nobody. Like you can do <laughs> diversity and inclusion from your job. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's not about the title. And and I think that's the premise of, of this platform that I'm on right now. And this message is that, again, it, it requires all of us. This work belongs to all of us. And so certainly just like, you know, other skill sets and industries and professions, you may have people that have the expertise that can drive the strategy, but that should not prevent us from engaging in this work in a way that helps to foster greater level of inclusivity, belonging, acceptance and equity. And so it, it belongs to all of us. Yeah. And I think once we realize that ownership piece, you yeah. can do so much more, right? Because yes. we're not yes. waiting for others to do it. Right. Where ownership exists, accountability exists, right? Yeah. And so that's the connection point. That is the key separator as well. If we can't hold ourselves accountable, then how are we going to be able to influence the behaviors of others that we're wanting to, to lean into this work as well? So it, yeah, it, it belongs to all of us. I love that. So I want to talk to you a little bit about because you you do a lot of work in the suite in the C suite with executives. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that they are facing when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging within their organizations? 
Yeah, well, there's there's so many. One of the things that I feel like has been recurring in my experience in working with different C-suite leaders is not taking the appropriate time to align around how do we as a collective, right? How do we want DEI to be manifested in our organization? Usually the starting point or the impetus is to recognize this is important, we need to be doing it, and to say, yes, now go and do it. But how are you really rallying the troops, identifying mm -hmm. the synergies around how each of you are defining diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging? Have you assessed organizational readiness and leader readiness? And all of that takes strategic conversations, really peeling back all the layers, identifying the root causes of issues that could be compromising inclusion and equity and starting to solve for it there. But I feel like what most often happens is they'll just launch out to say, we need to do it and we want any kind of activity or movement, but activity is not the same as impact, right? Yes. Activity yes. has a start and an end date. Impact is where we look at systems, policies, procedures, and culture and ways to help bring people along. And that begins with really honest conversations around what does this work look like and feel like to you? Now, yeah. how can we take all of these individual answers and bring them into alignment that we all can coalesce around? So that's one of the challenges. I think the other thing too is the lack of um, full support. And when I say full support, mm -hmm. I mean by human capital, financial capital, emotional capital, you know, all of the capital that's needed to really help move this work forward. And so sometimes it's not enough just to, in rhetoric, say, I value this work and, you know, I, I support you. You need to show what that looks like. Yeah. So I think the lack of the, the know-how, the know-how of what does executive sponsorship and support look like exactly is, is also something that I see many leaders are challenged by. Um, and then lastly is, you know, the lack of commitment to doing the real hard work. You know, this work starts at the personal level. Personal awareness is so critical. And so we can't start to change organizational climate and culture without people at their core, at their personal level, are able to really take responsibility for their own actions, to see where they can bridge um, the gap in their own uh, lack of knowledge, you know, and deepen their own understanding, and then align that with very specific um, action items that, that can be sustained over time. So those are some of the, the recurring themes that I see that many um, organizational leaders are challenged by in this space. Yeah. And, you know, when you, when you started answering that question, what came to my mind immediately was something I've been asking um, is where do you want to see this organization in five years? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And where are you currently? Do you have a good sense of where you are currently before you start envisioning what's to come in five years? That's right. another big piece. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like um, not having a realistic lay of the land. Yes, absolutely. Get the good stuff. Yes. <laughs> all, all the talking points. Yes. But, you know, who are the folks on the margins and what are they saying and what are they experiencing and yeah. how do we center that as a part of inclusion? Yes. Um, and it goes back to what you also said around how are we even defining diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging? What right. does that look like here? And I think that's a piece that so many organizations are missing, right? They, they can are. define diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, but I'm like, well, what does that look like in exactly. your organization. How do we want that to manifest within the confines of our organization? And think about it, Sasha. People, where you sit in an organization determines what you see. 
-hmm. And what you see becomes your lens and your lens informs your decision-making ability. It informs how in which you may interact with others and it informs so much. And so I often say nothing about me without me. If you're yeah. in a position of leadership within an organization and your lens is tainted just by your own personal lived experience and you don't have that cultural intelligence of others lived experiences, particularly of those who are historically disenfranchised or marginalized, you're not going to be well positioned to be able to create a climate and a culture that really is for all people. And so the data is critical. I think that, you know, going back to your earlier question, sometimes leaders don't want to even believe the data, let alone they don't even want to even collect the data because they may already have some suspicion that the data is maybe a little bleak. But I I always say that we have to trust the data. We have to believe the data. All data is opportunity, right? Whether it's opportunity to just reinforce some things that are are, going well. You know, I think taking a strength-based approach to this work is also necessary. We aren't just looking for what's going wrong when we, you know, use the word audit or assessment, you know. And then it's also opportunity by way of if we are now – if, if we do surface information that causes us to strengthen our intentionality um, to improve the, the the workplace culture, then why would we not lean into that? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Looking at it as an opportunity to grow rather than a deficit or something that's bad or negative, right? Yes. Yes. We need to reframe. We need to yeah. reimagine this conversation. Right now, a lot of people will enter this space of DEIB conversation in a way that's very obligatory. You know, what can I do to help out DEIB, right? Instead of seeing it from an opportunity perspective, which then the conversation shifts. And then you're talking and asking questions like, what can diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging do to help make us a better performing company, to give us that competitive advantage, to help Mm -hmm. us to compete effectively in the marketplace and be an employer destination. So all the things, but I I think that shift in mindset is is, um, really critical for helping to move the needle in a way that can lead to really great outcomes. Obligation versus opportunity. I choose opportunity every time. Yes, 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 yes. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) so you know so it's interesting because so from my business and kind of what i do um i sit in a unique position in that Mm -hmm. especially in the coaching side of my business because i coach dei practitioners but i also coach individuals that come from historically marginalized communities that are in corporations right so i get to see the gap and i always Mm -hmm. talk about let's mind the gap because that's where some of these DEI efforts are not aligning, right? Intention, and you talked about impact, right? It's the intention mm-hmm. and the impact may not be in alignment. And right. so from your perspective, um, where what are some of the gaps that you're seeing in some of these diversity efforts with clients that you're working with? Yeah, um, a couple of things. One of which is a lack of taking all of the data that they should be collecting and should be mining quite often and then leveraging it to prioritize, you know, your resources mm-hmm. to make decisions around um, measurement frameworks, um, tracking um, around what are those key prioritized focus areas? What are the accountability mechanisms? You know, where you measure and track, it gets done. Where you hold people accountable, they deliver. And so the accountability piece is huge. I find that oftentimes organizations shy away from that piece of it because they Mm -hmm. feel like, I don't want to be heavy handed with this. I don't want to make people feel like this is being forced upon them. And, And I think that 
that can be a crutch, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to make sure the same way that we're planning for success around any other critical area of operation that we're treating diversity, equity, and inclusion in the same fashion. What kind of outcomes do we want to see? Let's name that. And so what is it going to take to get there? And when we identify those action items to reach that desired outcome, how are we tracking and measure it? How are we holding people accountable? How are we course correcting with intervention strategies? So we have to exercise the same level of rigor and due diligence that we do with any other area of operation if we really wanna see success. And that that is a gap that I find oftentimes exists. Yeah, I, I've done some work in with some manufacturing companies, and it's it's the same thing with safety, right? Yes, it's your safety is how yeah. you should be approaching diversity, equity, and inclusion. I love that. I actually right? use that as an example oftentimes um, with you know organizations that maybe are not in the manufacturing space where we know that safety is such a big conversation. If you really want to turn the dial up on this. You know, treat it like safety for a manufacturing work. Talk about it at every turn over, communicate on it, put, you know, measures in place to make sure people are following all the protocols. Right. Yes. Posters on the wall, like whatever, yes. <laughs> whatever yes. the thing is that you talk about safety, right. right? And how do you measure that? Because there was yes. for a long time, safety was this abstract thing that couldn't be yeah. measured. Now, all of a sudden you can measure it. Oh, absolutely. So, the number of incidents going down. Yeah. But here's yeah. here's the parallel that I think sometimes can help, um, you know, clients and, and organizational leaders to gravitate towards that analogy of treating it the same way that, you know, sometimes organizations will treat the safety aspect. And that is it really is safety. If we it think is. about how people's psychological safety, how even sometimes their mm-hmm. physical safety is threatened in the workplace. Um, and particularly it happens with people that are underrepresented, or I like to say underestimated, you know, mm-hmm. in the workplace. Um, it, it does lead to a safety issue. So how can we now kind of shift our language as well and be creative in our approach to helping people to understand the parallel there? Because there is a parallel there. Definitely, definitely. And it's funny because, you know, we talk about data, 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 data. And they're like, oh, we can't measure, um, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, these efforts. We can't do that. But when I come in and I'm talking about psychological safety with an assessment and I can tell you this is where your company scores. Yes. Hmm. And if someone says they can't measure DEI, that is not true. They're not asking the right questions or looking at the right data points to track because you absolutely can 100%. And it goes back to what you said said earlier, right? It's sometimes they don't collect the right data because they think what they're going to see is not going to be optimal. Yes. And that's, that's okay. That's that okay. okay. I know. The encouragement that I try to provide to organizational leaders that may have those sentiments is that no one is saying that now once the data has revealed itself, that you have to change everything and all the things overnight immediately. You know, let's just now at least be knowledgeable with evidence-based data that gives you then greater propensity to try to make incremental change over time as you can. It's about progress, not perfection, right? Yes. Yes. But if you desire to not even get the data because you're afraid of the data, then you're automatically making a decision even before starting on this journey. And that is you're not really seeking to have um, to institute change that's that's required. Change starts with knowing the data, understanding a baseline of where you are. And it goes, again, back to something you said, right? It's that internal work. 
Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Organizations are random people. So again, if people aren't getting the importance and significance and the value of DEI at the individual level, they're not going to be able to transfer that mindset and that way of thinking into the organizations and communities and society that they're a part of. And so it starts, it starts at the personal level. Yeah. I love it. So Dr. Nika, we talked about this work and and this work is often difficult and Mm -hmm can be, can be challenging, right? There's some Mm -hmm. wonderful times and wonderful things that come out of it as well too. But tell us a little bit about how you take care of yourself. How do you fill your cup? How do you make sure that you stay kind of focused and grounded in this space? Yeah. um, I love this question. How do I fill my cup? There are a number of ways. First and foremost, it goes back to just being intentional, recognizing that because I am a practitioner in a space that's really hard. I mean, we we hold a lot for a lot of people all the time, Mm -hmm. which means that we're often putting our own feelings aside and and we're, um, you know, shift burying them deep, deep, deep inside. Um, so that we can show up at our best for others. And so I think that the intentionality of of recognizing that as part of this profession is is one of the ways in which I fill my cup, because that leads me to then being very thoughtful about what are my needs? How can I Mm -hmm. self-reflect on what my body is telling me? what my what my mind is telling me, you know, and how can I align and govern myself accordingly? And and our bodies will tell us, absolutely. Oh yes. <laughs> our bodies will tell us whether we want them to or not, they will. And so for me that's exercise. That's um I have a therapist that I see routinely. <laughs> uh, I believe in therapy and talk therapy and and knowing your triggers and knowing how to navigate that, not waiting for mm-hmm. you to be triggered, right? Um, I also believe in um, just quiet time, clearing my calendar and just having time to just sit in silence, honestly, let my, let my brain kind of relax. And, um, and, and I'm a woman of great faith. And so that also fills my cup to know that I'm, I'm never walking this life and this journey alone. And so and I have people in my corner that support me. Um, so I think it's, it's all of those things, but we each have to just be reflective about what works for us. And then yeah. intentionally allow ourselves to to lean into that because we, we deserve it and we need it. Yeah, I yes, 110 percent agree. Um, yeah, I, d- I did a post recently about how like, oh, I'm, I'm managing my stress. I'm good. And then my blood work said something very different. Yes. So, yes. So, yeah, we yeah, need to manage our time, you. manage our stress and manage our energy. Right. Yeah. What yes. drains our energy? What stresses us to the point to where, you know, we need to put, we have, we need to have limitations and boundaries around certain things. And then of yes. course, sometimes, you know, especially like as entrepreneurs, we can just, you know, fill up every second of our day with some kind of to do to where the, 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 the time to just kind of release and be and sit still and reflect is not there. And so I'm, I'm totally with you. I'm totally with yeah. you. So when you said that just now, it reminded me, a cousin of mine once said, um, you know, you have all these to do's, but what are your to don'ts? <laughs> like, what are your to don'ts that you don't need exactly. to do? We need right? more to don't list than we do more to do lists. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I'm going to have to remember that. I think I'm going to, probably one of my check-in <laughs> questions this week is I'm going to ask my team, what what is, put together your to don't list and share it for accountability. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. <laughs> so we need to we need to start thinking in that way. So, yeah. Dr. Nika, how can people get in contact with you if they wanted to reach out? 
So the best way to reach me is through my website, which is simply MikaWhite.com. And um, through my website, certainly there's a number of courtesy resources that we make available. It's our way at NWC um, of just showing up for the broader community to help people while they're on their own learning journey to deepen their understanding and knowledge of DEIB. Um, also on my website, MikaWhite.com, people can connect with me through all my social media platforms that I'm a part of. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us today. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, we could go for like another half an hour, I'm sure. I, know. I feel the same. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for opening up your platform and your audience for me to be able to share. I, I'm an admirer of the work that you're doing and um, I, I just love to see it. And so thank you. Thank you for, for allowing me to be here today. Thank you so much. I just wanna thank everyone for being with us today and following this conversation. Be sure to subscribe. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform or here on YouTube. And we will see you next time. Have a good one.